The Sober Sojourn's 12 Steps and Passport Stamps podcast features recovered men and women who are practicing members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step program. We are friends gathered to discuss our experience in recovery. The discussions in this podcast represent our own individual experiences and opinions as of today. You can reach us at our email address, which is Sober Sojourns Podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at OyveAA and such as Sally. We would love to hear from you. Our aim is to try to be helpful by sharing the realities of our recovery, how we have recovered and are trudging the road of happy destiny wherever we go. Pirate Mike and OyveAA presents The Sober Sojourns. 12 Steps and Passport Stamps Podcast. Okay. First episode of the podcast. How's it going? It's going good. I am Oive AA. And I am Pirate Mike. This is great. This is exciting. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited. I feel like I want to like apologize to anyone who may have thought I'm a Hasidic Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost half the listeners. Immediately. That's it. They're, they're gone. Bamboozled. She doesn't sound anything like what we see in the picture. I am not a rabbi. I'm sorry. I had a, a mutual friend of ours say to me, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you got, like, sponsees out of this meme thing? And I feel like I'll be equally delighted if someone, anyone, thought I was a rabbi for, like, a split second. Well, at least <laughs> we'll at least get some kind of direct message where people are confused and asking, right? But we got at least the back half of it. So, so like in this case, like this is really exciting for me too. And I mean, one thing that we both share experience-wise is um, the whole getting sober in or living in sobriety in a place that is not, you know, native country. No. Yeah, I think that's. I think that was one of the reasons why we kind of started doing this. Um, like the. I think it was pretty clear once you and I started getting to know each other that this is like a main thing that we both share. I find this podcast to be an excuse to like speak with you because the time <laughs> difference is like insane. What? How many hours are we apart right now? Just so people will understand. Well, it's night here and it's day over there. But I think we said it was like, what, 14 or 16 hours, something like that. It doesn't really That's matter. fucking crazy, dude. Is it though? So, is it really? I guess it is. I, I've never, I've had enough experience with this, but I've never had more than 10 hours. Uh, okay. Time difference with anyone. So this is like an excuse to do this. Again, like, this is like, he's saying it's day. It's like early morning here. And it's like nighttime where you are. This is not like, you know, noon here or something. Fair, fair. It's like an hour and a half to midnight where I am. Yeah. And you're also, I have "Mm, a question for you, Pirate Mike, though. Like, yeah. this is important. Do you okay. feel like this podcast name is too long? I, if, <laughs> if, I mean, if we break it up, like, before and after, like, between the, the, the colon, then I think it's okay. But yeah, I guess <laughs> if I do have to say that 
cool name the whole time. But it's it's I know what to give up. I mean, you're the one who like okay. So now I feel like the listeners need the backstory. So of how this went down. I know my friend Vey here <laughs> enlisted the help of AI to try to come up with a great podcast name. And so this monstrosity that we're dealing with now is like <laughs> combination of like three different ones that we couldn't pick from. And I, re I refuse to try to like narrow it down anymore. So it is what it is. Do you not it's like the it, monster you? child of yeah. AI? By the way, ChatGPT is getting probably like 20 cents every time we say it. Oh, nice. That nice. name. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put it through college. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like though at this point we have so much stuff backstage that are like counting on this. You know, we have so much infrastructure set up with that stupid ass name that we're kind of we fucked ourselves over. I can feel it. I can feel it. At one point you were like, I don't want to put any more work on this. We haven't even hit record yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we were both just really, really um excited about this. Is this also the part where I just, um, I think I should give a disclaimer about my grammar. Because um, my grammar is not as good as I would like it to be. So this is a disclaimer to all grammar Nazis um, or regular Nazis, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever kind of Nazi you want to identify as. Um, I am Jewish and I make uh, horrible grammar mistakes. Um <laughs> Pirate Mike, why won't you take it away now? <laughs> I think that's a fair disclaimer. We want to be sensitive to all different kinds of Nazis. That's so uncomfortable to say. Um, I feel like, yeah, people hopefully will get the tone at yeah. this uh, first recording that this is very humoristic. Um, I actually had this conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours uh, of how... For me, comedy and, and humor, even if it's only amusing to me, is a great way to process whatever it is I'm going through and whatever yeah. trauma I'm going through. And I think being a foreigner or being a minority uh, out in the world is just a part of that. So, um, yes, it is my right and I will defend it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And this specific kind of comedy. I remember, um, so I got sober in the States, right? That is not my country of origin. And... Um, but I share, like someone who I worked with, our native country's histories share a common colonizer. <laughs> and we bonded over that, you know, with the same kind yeah. of humor. It was like, oh, they fucked you over too? Yeah, right on. <laughs> it's like we're brothers. Yeah. I, you know, I feel that was like the connection between me and you is that we're both uh, foreigners. Like we share the same group of friends. Uh, but we're both very, um, we raise up the, the ethnic we do. scent, <laughs> ethnic scent. What the fuck am I saying? Uh, I like in this group of people. And I love that group of people, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it's just, as you said, it's like, it's something you bond over. Um, maybe this is what trauma bonding is. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't take a dark turn at all. Maybe it is. No. But it's maybe it is. But it's uh yeah, no, it makes sense. I think I think anybody who um has a similar experience will be able to relate. Because there's 
there's like the majority and minority in terms of like who you are in the crowd, but there's also like culturally, it can be like that. And so I don't know the best way to describe it is probably like, you know, we live in like a McDonald's world, so to speak. Wait, I don't understand the metaphor, please. You don't? <laughs> no. It's very, Analyze it's very, it I mean, fuck it. It's like, it gets very US centric. The, oh, there like it the is. View, right. And sometimes it's like, <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. But, you know, I don't really, I don't relate like 100%. Sure. May I may I like remind you that the episode where we shit on the US is not scheduled for this week. So that's all that's all I'm going to say. So how did you end up at the Greenland Ice Cap? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um I did not relapse and die when I left my country of origin. Um mm. even though that was what I was specifically told that was going to happen. Um <clears throat> so like the backstory just tip of the iceberg you know, pun intended for sure, um, is that I, <laughs> um, so I'm from Israel, uh, if that isn't obvious by the, by the thick accent, uh, I was born and raised, oh God, I'm not going to do it, it's such That's a bad joke. You're not Japanese? What are, you, what are we doing? <laughs> Everything I know is a lie. No, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not from the US either. I have gotten so many weird things. I love that this is getting derailed, but people have told me I'm from every country in the world. And it's always crusty ass old timers being inappropriate and being like, I had someone at the end of a meeting just like point its finger at me. It wasn't like half a second until like after finishing the serenity prayer. And it was like, you're Irish. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. He's never heard an Irish accent in his fucking life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I really don't know what it was. Maybe the R. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. I love how I'm trying to defend this like old timer that I've I'm like. But it's well intentioned, right? Like, I mean, I told you how. Um, I'm so so I'm since I'm Asian, and I was the only one <gasps> yes. who fit that description, right? <laughs> when I when I first got sober, anytime there was another Asian in the meeting, people thought they were being helpful by trying to introduce us to each other. Or like, you know, do you know this guy? Do you know Yoshi? And I'm like, no, but I'm sure he's a fine guy and it'd be nice to meet him one day. It is well-intentioned, but it's like, I don't think people understand that it's, I, I, I don't know if I would go and say it's racist because I've, uh, but it's just odd. Except it's an episode. odd thing. And I think, yeah. And I think like, if Again, you know what? I'm not gonna say because I'll end up shitting on the states again. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back from that line of, of discussion. But yeah. Oh no, you don't know what to say. There's like there's no, nothing I else I can say without shitting on it. Nope, no. This is goodbye, everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I I think I'll go back to the story that I got derailed about uh, okay, how okay. I got into the to the green. Was it the Greenland ice caps? Is that what it said in the big book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pirate Mike, do you do you mind reading this for us? As um, and we will meditate on that before we. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think we we missed out on the two minutes of silent meditation, but yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you're gonna read from Living Sober, right? I am gonna read from Living Sober. <laughs> this is after they tell us to eat chocolate. 
whenever we feel a craving coming on. Yeah, thank you. Living sober. Um, can we do an episode on that? I just want an hour of like shitting on living sober because I haven't done that anywhere yet. <laughs> I feel like if you give me an hour to shit on NA, which I which I say to John Barleycorn, but the main reason I haven't been on on the podcast, I think, is probably like blood libel reasons. That might be the barrier. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, but honestly, it's like um, if if anyone hasn't realized this yet, this is probably an unpaid ad for a podcast greater than yourself. So please right. stop, stop listening to us. Go listen to Pirate Mike's episode on We Agnostics. It's fucking amazing. We love those guys uh, so much. We love those guys so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. I can't wait to promptly admit my wrongs on that blood libel thing. <laughs> They'll be there to hear the inventory. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, this is going great. So page 101. Um, first full paragraph says, we meet these conditions every day. What conditions do you ask? The conditions of uh, just having liquor all over around us in everyday life. Um, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap. And even there, an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. We mm. don't really say Eskimo anymore, but there you go. <laughs> is it, I'm sorry, is it politically incorrect? Did I miss something? That's what I heard. Or oh. at least that's what they, that's what they told me. Oh, wow. Okay. But I, I think we get the picture. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, it's such a powerful thing reading it now from like where I'm at today. Again, when I, and, and I say it with all the love in the world, um, because I've gotten a lot out of NA, but I got clean in NA in Israel and I fondly refer to it as the NA death cult of Israel because it was so... <laughs> So recovery, like the recovery was so much like fellowship based. And I think it's just an NA thing. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's just very direct, but I've gotten clean there and it takes like, just like a little background in, in NA, it takes a long time to work steps. They have this like step working guide and it's like 117 pages or whatever. It's oh, way too long. It. It's like 30 questions for like fucking step and and by the time i left israel i had like over a year and i was like in the second step and i was not Jesus doing Christ. well i know i was like <sighs> i wasn't using anything and i wasn't drinking but i certainly wasn't happy and i certainly wasn't in a good mental space um and I decided to leave. I was young. I was 22 at the time. And I wanted to go travel, which is something 22-year-olds want to do, right? And I was, I kept hearing this talk about freedom in the rooms. And I'm like, what What freedom? Like, I don't want to sit here with you, like, old people. Sorry, like, not to be ageist. <laughs> but like, what do I have in common with you? You know, what is this freedom you're talking about? So I got up on a plane it was 18 hours um, to the other side of the world. 
I was, I thought I was going to die. People told me you were going to die. I had friendships like totally like ruined because of this thing that I decided to do against all advice, but something called me to do it. And here we are like years later, <laughs> right? That's amazing. I mean, I have respect for anybody who makes that decision to like strap on a bag and just leave home. Right. I think that, I mean, I did it for different reasons. Like it was my first major geographic and I was still drinking, but you know, um, the distance that I've been able to travel since that first journey, right. has been life shaping and life changing. Mm. And I can relate to what you were saying about the, I remember my first year, you know, getting sober and I was in the U S and, um, at that time, you know, alcohol ruining my, or my alcoholism ruining my life or leading to that point meant that, um, I was on my own in a foreign country. You know, I didn't have any immediate family or, or close relatives near me. Um, mm. yeah, I ruined a marriage. And so I was like on my own again. And it very much felt like starting from scratch, even though I already had like the basic stuff set up, you know, social security number, bank account, whatever, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of support. And so in my first year, um, I remember this one guy who was getting ready to move across the country from LA and um, he was deathly afraid, right? He was like crying in meetings, talking about how he's mm -hmm. scared because he's not going to have, you know, his group, the group support. And like, what if he relapses? And it was a real thing. And I was, I was sad and scared for him. And then years later, you know, when I made my own decision to like my family and I, we moved back to, I'll stop saying country of origin. Cause I think, <clears throat> I mean, it's going to like, I'm in the Philippines. Right. And, uh, um, it was all warning and it was all fear. Everyone was like, mm. you know, remember this guy, he moved to the Philippines. Um, it was like, you know, in a few short months he relapsed and he was knee deep in cocaine and hookers and booze. And I was like, okay, I know. Cause that's, you know, there's a lot of that here. Um, but that was the fear. Yeah. It's like, if I, if I move out of the safety of the, you know, the little square that was the Alano club and the people therein that I wouldn't be able to stay sober. And, um, it wasn't until, and, you know, tip of the hat to people like the guys from um, podcast greater than yourself, right. That it's like, I got to take a look in the book again and mm. remove a lot of what I'd heard in fellowship. And it's like, Oh wait, so you guys aren't the ones actually keeping me sober, <laughs> like picking up cigarette bar, uh, cigarette butts in like a, an empty parking lot, you know, or or <laughs> shit like that. Like, isn't keeping me sober? It's it's actually something else. No, it's it's well. I mean, you said it right. I think it's all kind of based on a fellowship based uh, sobriety, and you are gonna keep me sober. And I think that was why I got all these warnings. Not that I had enough experience with step work at the time, right? I got really lucky because when I landed in Costa Rica, like I immediately went into an AA meeting because, you know, in the Middle East, we have NA mm. and AA is very prevalent in the world. I got into an AA, AA meeting. I met my now sponsor and we did this thing. And then my whole travel, my whole backpacking changed. But again, going back to this thing, like fellowship keeps us sober, right? Like meetings don't keep me sober. And... I've had to be deprogrammed from that. So right. Pirate Mike, let me ask you this. What keeps you sober? God does. There we go. 
So if God keeps you sober, maybe it's safe to assume that um, God can exist out of Philippines or out of Israel or out of wherever you are. Um, and that's what it is. And also it's a law of nature, right? I, I think that's the thing that this passage refers to. We cannot avoid the world, nor should we have a reason to, you know, if we live on this spiritual basis and we live in a practice of 10, 11, and 12, or, you know, all of, all of those stuff. Um, and there would be drugs and alcohol everywhere. It's a law of nature. Drugs, alcohol, and hookers, probably. <laughs> hookers are definitely a law of nature. <laughs> Exists everywhere. I, I've never had a hooker problem, just to like make it plainly obvious. Uh, <laughs> That's good to know. No, no hookers have been troublesome in the making of this podcast. No. <laughs> there's a no. There's a line in a vision for you that you made me think about, and I know, like the big book nerds are. So disclaimer, I know I'm taking this out of context, but I like it for what it is. So fuck you. Um, <laughs> on 158, right? They're like in the middle of a story that's being told. There's the idea that God ought to be able to do anything. And yeah. it's such a powerful statement for me today when I think about my own recovery, not just sobriety. Um, because, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned how like you were a little more than a year and you had you were on your second step. Um, I mean, I still think I did the steps. Like it took me, it took me a little long. It took me a little while, like about a year to get through the steps in AA. But even with that, it was like the quality of it is not the same as it is today. Right. I mean, 10, 11 and 12 um, from what I remember, cause I don't want to assign blame to anyone like my first sponsor or anything, but from mm -hmm. what I remember, the experience was like, step 10, don't be an asshole, right? Step 11, you know how to pray and meditate, right? Go. Step 12, go get a sponsee. And that was kind of, it just seemed very quick. And and maybe it's supposed to be. But um, what I was relying on at the time made it so that like, I, I just needed somebody to walk me through the book a little more, I think. And I definitely didn't have the motivation to do that on my own. Um mm. And, you know, you lead by example, right? So in my case, oh, fuck, I guess I am assigning blame. Like I didn't, you know, I wasn't surrounded by people who were like getting into the book as much as I am now. And so I thought, okay, so we're just kind of winging it. And so God ought to be able to do everything for a long time without even thinking about it. That meant sobriety from alcohol to me. I was not applying the God solution to other parts of my life. And that's where I was still suffering. You know, you talked about still being in some kind of pain, um, even though you were clean for a certain amount of time. And that went on for years for me. And I didn't understand. I just mm. thought, you know, oh, I still have an anger problem. I still have these kind of secrets or whatever, but that's just human condition. I don't really want to share about it or inventory it anyway. I'll just act like a good guy. And eventually, you know, the fake it till I make it is going to, is going to smooth things yeah. out. And it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I, yeah, I just remember that. I remember the fake it till you make it and thinking that there was something wrong with me or my willpower. Right. You know? Um, 
And yeah, and, and and I think I said that now it's been a lot of being deprogrammed from that fear-driven um, motives. I sometimes forget what transpired in the last few years when I get into my own self-reliant fear. I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this thing? And like, I forget, you know, what my higher power did for me and what I'm here to do for um, my higher power and yeah, I just, I've had many wild experiences, just backpacking, right? Mm. Like I was 22, I was backpacking in like weird ass places. I was alone. It comes with, you know, it's a, it's a journey of self-discovery, if you like to, to backpack alone. At the same time, I was, um, you know, I was sober and I had this newly, uh, kind of a very fragile sense of what God is to me. Um, so it was all just a wonderful, wonderful journey. Um, I, I tend to shit on meetings a lot. You know, I don't, I don't particularly go to a lot of meetings now, but I went to so many meetings uh, when I was backpacking. I went from AA meeting to AA meeting. And I think that was really a huge part of what I needed to do. First of all, I saw the fellowship around the world. Mm. Um, I saw this kind of meeting, that kind of meeting, you know, uh, this language, that language. Um, I saw a lot of expats who had some interesting takes because they did this thing. They left their little clubhouse, uh, you know, and moved to Europe or whatever. Um, but yeah, just so many interesting experiences. Also, a little travel hack. If you want to travel cheap, Pirate Mike, uh, just travel in AA. <laughs> What do you mean? So this is um, this is an, a secret that I've been keeping, gatekeeping. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> is that when I went to like in, a new city, sometimes I, you know, I had like accommodations in this hostel for like two days, right? I didn't know what was going to happen. And I went to the local meeting, the local fellowship, right? There's locals there. And then they're like, oh, come, come sleep on, on my couch. I have a spare room. And I ended up, people ask me, how do you travel? You know, how do you do this? How do you make money doing this if you travel full time? I'm like, well, a big amount of it, you know, was staying at AAs. <laughs> I feel like such a bad person saying it. It was never my intention, but no. I ended up meeting so many wonderful people um, and making friends and making roommates and, you know, just being a part of this of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is remarkable. Because, you know, I mean, the the audience will not be able to tell this, but it's remarkable that you've been able to do all of that because you absolutely look like somebody who would murder me in my sleep, right? And yet <laughs> people trust you. No, I think, I think it's great that you had that experience, but... I look helps. very scary. It's the you, Jewish horns. I hide yeah. them with all that hair. Yeah. There we go. Pardon, Mike, could we get like an audio cue for first um, racist joke? I feel like we're at the second or third by now, but. I'm sure we've exceeded even those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're not aware of how offensive we actually are. I'm allowed to do this. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> what was, what was the first thing? I, you know what I remember now is that we talked about colonization. And yeah. do you remember that? Do you remember that conversation? where you shared something about um, Spanish colonization. And I was like, oh, I get it. And I refer, do you remember that? No. Was it the names? 
You're talking about the names. Yeah, like the last names. Yeah, that was my joke because we were were we were a Spanish colony, and so my friend who I bonded over because of the 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 common colonizer, they were curious, right? They're always curious, like how do you look like the way that you do, and yet you have this like surname that doesn't sound like anything that you look like, and so mm-hmm. my long running joke was like, well, I don't know actually because I can't trace it more than a couple of generations so let's just say it's my slave name and it's so funny to me every time I say it and it makes depending on who I'm talking to it can make people so uncomfortable it but I feel is like, so funny dude I feel like it's kind of true you know people landed on like a bunch of islands and it's like hey we just you know you have your own thing going but guess what here's Jesus and also you are no longer this name that we can't pronounce Here's here's a set of names that you'll be known by for generations to come. And here we go. Oh, my God. I love that this... I mean, I'm not surprised that this podcast has now turned into Colonization 101. Um, but yeah, I feel like when we spoke about this, you told me about the surname and I told you, yeah, like, there's so much... I mean, I, I, I certainly get it for many reasons, like the, the colonization thing, Um it's the same, you know, you don't have a, you have like a, a different sounding surname. Uh, I don't have a great grandmother at all. <laughs> it's all the same. That's the trauma bonding. The it thing. is the trauma bonding. But I think, I, I think that's the thing. Like you go and you, you know, and, and I kind of want to hear more about your experiences, like quote unquote, like a foreigner, um, yeah. you know, in in AA, because I think it's such a niche thing. You know, I make niche memes about being Jewish in AA. It's such a niche fucking thing. Um, because I I hear the weirdest shit as a Jewish girl. And I hear the weirdest shit as a Jewish girl in AA. What is the weirdest you know, shit that you've heard? Dude, I've had... Oh my God. Wait. I, I feel like we need more time on this. Yeah? I mean, when you say weird, are you, do you actually mean pervy? Because if so, then... <laughs> I, I roll that back. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I mean, is is I don't know. Is is perfectly being like you know? Let me talk to you about the Book of Revelation and how your people will like be you know the the catalyst for whatever. And I'm like, dude, can we no. just talk about the third step? <laughs> like, are are we? What are we doing? Like, and and I think it's just yeah, you get weird reactions, and, and I think. That's just what happens when you sound different and look different. I do not regret for a second leaving my country and being a part of more of a global fellowship and being a foreigner. In a way, it's comfortable for me. In a way, it almost strengthens my identity, you know, my ethnic identity, my religion. Um, but also sometimes it can be really uncomfortable uh, and it can feel almost unsafe, Uh but we'll get to my neo-Nazi experiences in the U.S. in the next the episode. episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a promise. We're gonna we're and, gonna get that's the audience retention. And right that's there. an oy vey AA promise. But no, Pyro Mike, like honestly, I would love to hear about your experience because what differentiate us, which which people I don't think understand, or because race um, outside or like in the U.S. is very black and white. Yeah. Pun intended, right? And race is a spectrum. Um, for me, you know, you cannot see that I'm Jewish, but it's 
a huge part of my ethnic cultural like and I'm also Middle Eastern so there's this whole thing right, uh, right. this heavy thing that I care with me but I don't present as such so you know only when people hear me speak they're like oh where are you from <laughs> but I think your experience might be different and even more difficult it's um I mean different in the sense that like it's uh <laughs> we're talking about an experience right that's being filtered yeah. through a very specific lens or pair of eyes right and so um so I get an opportunity to circle back to the McDonald's metaphor but like uh the difference <laughs> I think is is has to do with also just the different stereotypes that that I fall into um yeah so one of the reasons why I was really excited to do this with you is um the fact that you do have the experience of someone who um, left their backyard, so to speak, right? And it's something that is touched upon in the book, but there's not a lot of people who share about that in the rooms and it matters. Um, mm. It's a very practical program. And so if I extend that idea of practicality, it's one thing to be able to say, like, you know, if, uh, let's pretend I'm back in my um, my old home group in LA. It's one thing to be able to kick back and say, yeah, obviously you can stay sober no matter where you are in the world. Um, God has no limits. Sure, that's a given. But to actually venture out and then experience that in practice is a completely different thing. Like you don't know, you don't know, you don't know shit until you've actually been there, right? Oh, yeah. Like I don't want to, I don't want to shit on anyone who decides to stay home. And that's not my intention at all. I'm just saying that um, without thinking about it, there's a there's a convenience um, that comes with being able to take home with you. And this is where I go back to McDonald's. So my whole thing on McDonald's <laughs> and the Starbucks of the world, right? Is like people go to a place that's foreign and scary. And then almost immediately it's like, well, how can I bring home here? And, that's and then they go have get. a soy cappuccino. Right. Like we have Which a, is my higher power. That's a that's a good higher power. We have an entire city right. that's been developed over the course of like the last 10 years to be mm. expat friendly. And it's very nice and it looks very developed, right? And I've met people who because we get, you know, here in this corner of the world, like there's it's a very um we get a lot of transients. So um people in recovery who are like flying in and out. Um, and it's a, that's a very different experience, but they'll stay in that place. And then, you know, I'll meet some of them in the, in the meetings and they'll be like, oh yeah. And, you know, it's really nice that I get to experience like the, you know, the real Philippines. And it's like, dude, this is not the real Philippines. You know, mm -hmm. we walk like 10 minutes outside of that city's borders. And then it's like, oh, this is the real Philippines. It's getting kind of rough. And I'm like, we're not even in the rough part yet. You know, I mean, oh, backpackers wow. and the hostile life. You know, people who do that, they get to see a little bit more of what it's like in the wild. Um, but there are definitely some places that are constructed to make it comfortable for people who come from developed nations so they don't have to feel like they're too far from home. And that's a luxury and a privilege. Um, but it's also a bubble. That is such an interesting take. I mean, you know, when when we travel, or at least, you know, my experiences was I in most countries I went to English speaking AA 
So you immediately get catapulted into this expat American experience of the place. Um, Not that, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, I saw a lot of people, you know, from the country go to the English speaking AA, but I think you and I have like distinctively different experiences right now because you're, you went back and you are now back in your country of origin. I am not back and I'm not planning to go back for yeah. obvious reasons that we shall not mention in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Next episode. Yeah, Pirate Mike is cringing so hard right now. He's like, please yeah. don't, <clears throat> don't, don't do it. Um, I'm not going to do it. DM me. <laughs> Is all I'm <laughs> to, say. to learn more. <laughs> to learn more. DM me at OIVAA. Um, no, but again, and I don't want to sell a fairy tale also about like, and I think you kind of touched on that, um, if I understood correctly, is that traveling um, in this program is like, oh, yeah, I found God and now I'm backpacking through the rainforest. I'm like, hell no, dude. It was difficult. It was heart wrenching. There were moments, you know, I've had several moments, you know, in party hostels where I was like, what am I doing here? you know, where I had to remove myself from certain situations, you know, right. not because I was, you know, a selfish motherfucker with no like willpower, but because, you know, I don't know if I'm spiritually fit here, you know, not sleeping for like two days um, to handle this uh, alcohol in this mini bar or whatever. Uh, but what it did for me is that it created, because I was alone, you know, I was alone for a long time. I really wanted to um not be alone for you know most of it but but it ended up happening the way it did because i think i needed to develop uh, a strong sense of you know i am alone you know all i have i'm i'm on this remote island i only have my higher power and like i don't know like a, t- a can of tuna <laughs> to eat and like some water like that's all i got um and i need to make do with that and i think it strengthened um my belief in God and and also what eventually led right to on. me. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> like it led to me being deprogrammed from, from a lot of those uh, fear driven narratives that anyone is going to do this for me because that's just simply not true. That sounds, that sounds liberating actually. So, I mean, I think your original question was right. Like what it was like being a foreigner. AA. And I, I get to, mm-hmm. I listen to your story and the contrast of it is like, so you're on your own and like the God idea that you have and develop, right. That gets challenged, but then also strengthened like in this environment where you're, you're having to make it work stranger in a strange land. And Mm -hmm. I guess in a way for me, it was like, so I'm in the clubhouse, which is the exact opposite. I'm in a room full of people, but then struggling to fit in like square peg and round hole. And it's, we talked about that in a meeting recently, right? It's, I can't remember how many times in early sobriety, one of those throwaway phrases, right? Everybody keeps telling me, look for the similarities, not the differences. Look for the similarities, similarities, not the differences. And and it's really, it's like, I'm trying to figure out how not to bring race into this conversation. So I just won't accept for what I just said. But it's like, I can't see anything but fucker. Like, I mean, there's, you know, there's human experiences. 
but then there is also like the cultural background and like how we grew up and um i am not of this land where i'm getting sober like i can't get away from that no matter what and so there is a lot that i can relate to but not completely you know and so now being back one of the experiences that i had recently was you know and i, I love the group of friends who we have right like one of the things that i learned um recently is not learned but one of the things that's changed is my perception of time specifically like sober time and i know today that you know the amount of time that i have in recovery doesn't amount to me being like a um like a five-star general or anything like that. It doesn't give me like a bigger soapbox to stand on. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I did kind of cop an attitude for a while about dismissing that idea of time. And yet, you know, in um, a local recovery convention that I attended recently, one thing that I noticed, because they did the whole countdown thing, <clears throat> um, 50 years, 49 years, whatever, people would stand up, right? And, and those of us who um, are like jaded on time will just roll our eyes. But I noticed that it was a lot of those expats that were standing up 49, 48, 47 years, right? And they were very happy to be with each other. Um, and that was cool. And, you know, the locals, um, the natives were also clapping along. But it wasn't until they saw one of their own stand up with like 30 something years, right? It is what it is. And, and they were like, oh, I didn't know there was, I didn't know there was a Filipino that had that much time. Mm. and there was just like an extra connection right like it didn't really resonate with them that here was another foreigner with a lot of substantial time and i get it it's the 12 steps and we do it and uh but to see somebody who has the same kind of like experiences you background as you you know who came from the same land do the same thing it makes it more real it made it more real for me and i can see how it resonates with them because I guess that's another part of like the the colonization aspect of it. Like yeah. here we bring this thing to you and it's like, okay, I guess we'll take it. And actually one of our, one of our friends. So like um, Leia O, I think on the podcast was talking about how um, AA lives or AA, how AA is regarded in her European country where she is. And she said something to the fuck. I'm, I'm going to hear it if I misquote. But I think it was eventually it was it was essentially like it's seen as an American construct, like it's an American mm. thing that was brought into the country and people treat it um, as more of a social thing. Yeah. And, and I can I can relate to that here. Um, it is more social. It is more fellowship based, but it is also treated as this foreign thing that's been brought in, much like the religion that's predominant in the country. Right. And so like we'll do it but do we feel like a heart connection to it not really wow no i mean that is such you just blew my mind because like first of all what an interesting uh take and and just just really accurate you know and i think i also had some of that i'm like oh this we brought this this girl went to the US and brought this thing in the 60s or whatever, and now it's a thing. Nice. Um, and I think, again, when when you said the similarities thing, um, the differences and similarities, I'm like, um, yeah, that's a big one. Because again, 
at the end of the day, alcoholism, you know, is a very defined thing in right. the big book, right? Like, this is your problem. Right. This is your solution. This is the kind of drinker you are. Um, and again, th there's sometimes this like misunderstanding that people have of like, oh, you know, my problem is that I'm an asshole. I'm like, no, I mean, maybe, but that's not the, <laughs> this is not what we're talking about here. Right. But I think that at the end of the day, like once you come from a, a different place, you know, or, or whatever your experience is, but especially if we're talking about third world, third world countries mm. or countries that, you know, come, you know, have a lot of war in them or whatever, um, obviously, you know, like anyone's individual experiences and background, like you're going to have a different perception of a higher power and right. you're going to have a different perception of the steps. And one of the things that I said in a meeting or, I, I, yeah, and I, w that wasn't re well received is that I said that, um, you know, this book is in the Bible. You want to read the Bible, go, go read the fucking Bible. And, and I think to me that stems from the disillusionment that I've had to have that this fellowship is going to keep me sober and that the, these steps are some God-given thing. And that only happened once I experienced like, um, for lack of a better word, like a, um, um, like something that deeply impacted my, my country and yeah. my personal life. Um, I think I fully finally became reliant on a higher power once um everything else was kind of stripped away um and that happened years into sobriety um so in a way it was great you know and it is like a wonderful thing i don't know what i'm getting with this because i don't want to take away from anyone's experience right and say oh yeah. i've went through this thing so like i have this understanding of a higher power but i can only speak from my experience is that um, once I really just saw that nothing is, nothing is certain, you know, and I lost a lot of my faith or the faith I had in the program, the big book thumper persona I had, um, only then I feel like I started to accept that I am here to serve God you know, I have the certainty that I'm alive today and that's yeah. wonderful. Right now I'm alive. And as long as I'm alive, I have this power and I want to do right by that power. Um, not because I'm going to get anything because nothing is certain. And that, that only came from, you know, um, difficult circumstances for me. And again, I am not taking from anyone's experience or comparing anything, but that's what I can relate to when, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm a foreigner in this, you know, this is what right. I've learned, you know, also who do you share your 10 step with? Be mindful of that. <laughs> that sounds like, that sounds like that's going to be, a, that's going to be a heavy other topic. There's so many topics. Um, Something you said, specifically war. Um, That goes back to, so like I said, the convenience, right? And I mean, when I bottomed out, it was pretty miserable, but because I have this other experience, what I can say is it was miserable mm -hmm. that I was also in America. And there um, we go. There we go. And it's just different. Like when we, 
So I came back to my country. I came back to the Philippines um, at a time when, and not too long ago, like within the last uh, six years, people were um i don't know how to put this um drug addicts were getting killed and yeah. it was kind of okayed right like extrajudicial killings for um drug dealers and even addicts were kind of a thing and you know it's it's something you can look up in the news but it's different too when you hear local law enforcement and politicians saying that like yeah in your community if you know anyone who's a drug dealer and you want to go ahead and put a bullet in their head that's fine you know we'll support you and and so this is now what we're talking as like as a person in recovery from a very personal perspective i'm now in a place that is unsafe Right. And and this is a place like this country is a place that is not unfamiliar with war. Um, I remember 1986 because I'm that old, like, uh, <laughs> you know, we had some stuff going on here where there was a revolution and I'm driving by a mall on the way to school and I'm seeing bullet holes, you know, in, in structures. And it's like, what is that? Oh, you know, it's some stray fire. And it, it's so casual because it happens. Um, and then I come back and the same thing is happening, the same kind of violence, but it's specifically, you know, it's, it's hitting very close to home because these are people that I'm supposed to be helping with and, you know, legitimate concerns, right? People not wanting to go to a meeting because they're like, are you sure there isn't anyone here who's like taking down our names? Yeah. People are scared. It's a different, it's like a different level of fear, you know, and in times like that, To kind of go off of what you said, you, you, without God beside you, like, there's nothing else. Because that's when things get darkest. Yeah. That was, whew, I got emotional there. You can't see my face, but I got emotional there. And, and I think, you know, this is why, like, this is important for me because setting aside the humor or at least me trying to be funny, right? Uh, because we have to laugh about these things. These are, like, really real things. And I think it's voices that I would personally would have loved to hear um, and would love right. to hear more. Um, and again, as you said, it's so it's so personal to how I think we perceive the world and how, you know, I can say I, I even perceive the world, the word recovered, you know, because I couldn't understand for the life of me, how can I define myself as recovered, you know, and still be in like, what is this God? What is going on? You know, all those sober people who got, you know, shot, like, or whatever tragedy it is you're going through. Mm. Like, we have to, and, and it's about coming to terms with that and, and in a way also be like, okay, but what can I do in my own personal bubble? What can I do with sponsees? And what perspective does this give me about my recovery and my life and my sobriety? Right. Um, I have a very good friend, my best friend in in recovery, and and he says to me, "Well, oy vey ay, because it's my it's my name." <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's my name. 
<laughs> he says like, but isn't it better to cry in a tropical island than to cry in a bomb shelter? Um, wow, 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 wow. And I get very fearful, like everyone. Mm. Um, and I have to remember that, you know, and I have to remember that for a reason, you know, I have this other perspective that I need to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it, that's humbling, right? To even like think about or try to have to fathom or try to fathom somebody else going through. But that's a real choice in the world, or that's a real situation. I think it's a in choice in attitude. And Is it a choice, choice in attitude? In... Um, I can say that I had a shitty attitude for a good amount of time. Um, I'm not sure what changed. I think a, a big part of what's changed, not only you know, the company that I keep, but also understanding that I, I can't keep going with this attitude because I'm not being helpful to anyone. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's a reality. Yeah, I think what I was saying was like, it's a reality that it's just a reality. And it's not to picture somebody like having to think about tropical island or bomb shelter, right? It's not every day for most people in the fellowship, but it is something that people face. And so when you say like, it's important to hear those voices, I agree. And hence mm -hmm. another reason why, you know, we get to have conversations like this because like, fuck it, like my first year, right? It was, it was, um, my first sponsor was a single man and I was in the middle of getting a divorce and he, like with wisdom beyond his ears, I guess, was like, I can't really help you with that because I don't have the experience, but you can find someone in the rooms, like find somebody like go out and get some phone numbers and maybe you'll find somebody who's a divorce lawyer or, you know, someone who can help you with your finances. Cause it's not going to be me. And I was like, mm. cool, phone a friend. Right. But then there are other experiences where your neighborhood AA is not going to be help you with, not going to be helpful to you. And you just relayed one. Like, so, you know, any place <laughs> oh, where I was in, like, what do you do? Like, okay, so I got this problem. You know, there's a friend who I have who's afraid that he's going to be sent away and shot by some like masked man. What do I do? Like, yeah. there's no. It's not in the big book, right? It's not in the big book at fucking. I all. shared about it, and people were pissed off. I remember I was crying at a meeting, which I I I try not to do anymore, uh, for many reasons because we have to be mindful of <laughs> where we share things, and you know. Right. who we share it with and what are the tools we have. And like, maybe it's better to do a 10 step about it than to share about any meeting. But I did, I dumped, you know, I would advise to anyone to go to a meeting and, you know, probably try and pick up some sponsees, but I trauma dumped in my local fellowship here. Mm. Um, and I said exactly those words. I said, there is nothing in the big book to deal with. I said some graphic stuff yeah, about how my friends died. And, um, and one of the key experiences I think that helped me uh, reshape or kind of change my attitude was to be able to ask recovered people, um, hey, like people who I know are recovered, what do you do when you have a crisis of faith? Mm -hmm. And having people like reflect back at me, I'm like, hey, like this experience made me also have a crisis of faith. And I almost went out over it. I'm like, oh, oh, so I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Or Moses. <laughs> or Moses. 
Take your pick. Sorry, this is the, this is the. Let's be very clear. I'm Jewish. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out by now, I yeah, a few minutes in. A few minutes in. I remember an my hour first, in. An hour in. You made me remember my like um. Oh fuck! There's no way to make this sound better. My first Jewish. Go friend, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. My, fuck this. My first. My first Jewish friend in middle school. Oh man, he was, fuck. he was he was very curious about. It was seventh grade, and he was very curious about like, um, Catholic Roman Catholic practices. Even though I was not that great of a practitioner, right? And uh, so we talked about confession, and I told him what I had been experiencing with that, which was very fresh in my seventh grade, you know, experience. <laughs> And he was like, you you have to do all that. You're going to, I mean, you're either going to tell me that he was right on or he's full of shit, but he's like, you have to do all of that. Like, yeah, I don't have to do any of that. I just like, we have this, just this direct line with our God. And then that's kind of it. And I was so mm. fucking mad. I was like, you don't, you don't have to go into this magical phone booth and have this awkward conversation with this older man, mm. like <laughs> separated that's... by a thin wall. He's like, no, I just talked directly to my God. And, and honestly, I joke about it. But hmm. that's pretty much my experience with, with, with God today, right? Which I found through this program. It's like, Amen. I don't need a go-between. Like, I don't need an agent, you know? It can absolutely be like that. Obviously, that conversation stayed with me all these years because it did feel right. And it feels right today. And um, to your point, you know, being able to talk to people who have had a crisis of faith, um, it helps. I mean, for me, it kind of still helps if they can relate to the the type of trauma just a little bit. Um, but but who also have that strength of faith because of what they've experienced in recovery um, brings it back to like who I'm supposed to, who's really keeping me sober, who I'm really relying on. Ooh, but it's so cool circle, bro. Full circle, but it's but it's such a <laughs> difficult. I hear you, right? Like when certain things are happening, like when it's monstrous, then all I can hear in my head is like, but why? Mm. And, you know, in an emotional state, it can be very difficult to, um, just surrender to the fact that I don't have control over these things because all I want is understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, God, I could certainly relate to that experience. Um, I use the word uh, illusion of control a lot um, because I think it's just a human thing, but I, I, I don't have it. And again, my belief of what my higher power is, I mean, it always changes, right? Cause it's a personal relationship, but it yeah. had to change. It had to change. It had to be less give and take um, for sure. And I just love that you mentioned the confessional thing. You just, you brought up like this suppressed memory I had from rehab. <laughs> they made you go to confession? <laughs> no, <laughs> God, almost. God, yeah. Um, please, yeah. This is, oh my God, so funny. Um, no, I just remember... It was after I relapsed, right? Because I had I had the experience of being clean for a, a little while, um, and I didn't do anything, right? I, mm. You know, COVID happened. I got clean, 
it was kind of around the same time. And then I, I relapsed and I had like a really bad experience in it. and I went to rehab. And I remember I harmed a lot of people. And I really wanted this Christian concept that I never really understood, right? Because like, um, uh, I did not read the new, <laughs> I did not read the New Testament, sorry. <laughs> I didn't either. We have that in common. <laughs> I know, you never read the New Testament. No, I just, I never, I'm so like, not informed on it. But um, like, I really wanted someone to come and like, cleanse me of my sins, because that's how I viewed confession. And that yeah. happened it happened through doing the clear-cut directions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got my clean slate, you know, through doing the work. As you said, I didn't need um, a middleman. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. And, and, and the idea of God changing, that came up today. Um, so, hmm. like, I went to an in-person meeting. It is February so the daily reflection was on step two, which is actually wait, wait, Pirate um, Mike, do you go to meetings? I love meetings. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I do. I know we know some people who like. I felt you heard it here like, first. Pirate I do. I Mike meetings. goes to meetings. I do because because um, I have the experience of um, what they talk about in that story, the end of uh, the story of AA number three. You know when he's talking about like. Bill saying, what does he say? Um, the Lord has been so kind to me, curing me of this terrible disease that I just want to keep talking about it with people. And that's mm. kind of what I find today. So, you know, whatever they could be talking about their, you know, the bitch of a time they're having at home or just talking about their day, but an opportunity to like, just talk about this with people. And I am finding more and more people who are actually more program centered whatever, this is going off the rails, but I enjoy meetings today. And um, um, so we were talking about step two, which is actually a nice tie into this conversation that we're having. And something that I hear a lot, and I don't know if it's true, but I always assume that it's because of the predominant religion here is like, there's a lot of like, God's gonna, God's not given me more than I can handle. Um, mm. You know, why are you doing this to me, God? And like things like that, right? And my understanding of God today and just today is that like God's not giving me burdens, right? My understanding of, of free will, and it's not just me, but all of us have it, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, I'm making a choice to either like move towards God and what that looks like. So higher power centered living or not, or I'm making a choice to move back towards self. And you multiply that black and white choice to everyone and what you get is collision every day everybody making a free will choice and just colliding and that's not god that's just people having experience what god to me is <laughs> like when i can muster faith through even the most terrible of those collisions god to me is how i can ex i can still experience moments of inspiration i can still hold on enough to see an unexpected blessing so like when i'm going through difficulty it's not something that's being given to me by god because he's trying to force a lesson mm. the lesson is the grace that i get when i seek god god is the course correction god is the shelter
right? That I get. Preach, brother. <laughs> honestly, honestly, no, I love it. I love it. And it's, um, I love talking about free will and free choice. I felt in the last few months, like I kept saying, I feel like a newcomer in the way that my emotions were out of control. And mm. I felt like I was looking at this abyss or like this cliff. And I'm like, am I gonna, is this where I jump back in? But what oh, wow. ended up happening is, and and I saw it very clearly as a choice and me getting sober and me being recovered allowed me to have free choice, right? I am not uh, enslaved to, you know, what, what is it, like king alcohol, yeah. right? I'm not enslaved to this thing anymore. And every day I get free choice, right? Because I believe in God. So I get free choice to either choose that higher power, you know, to, you know, God couldn't would if you were sought, right? To seek, I think, does it come from the word seek? Sought? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hit me up. Yeah. Hit me up on the, <laughs> on the regions of the world sought. Sign the, within Yeah. The 1930s dictionary. Um, But if I seek God, you know, that's my free choice. That's the free choice I have. And sometimes it's a very difficult free choice, right? Like faith is um, not for um, like for the weak. And um, when I got on that plane, you know, I really thought I was going to die. And I felt like no one was really rooting for me. But I had the free choice to, despite me feeling it, something greater than myself that I still didn't have a clear understanding of told me, hey, like, you need to do this thing and this thing is somehow related to your understanding of freedom. It's not that when I left, I've suddenly gotten freedom, you know, it wasn't the act of leaving. It was, I think the act of choosing. Um... <laughs> yeah. Firemark is reacting on the zoom call. Um, but that's what it was. And, and there were so many awesome understandings. You know, I, I thought, when I left, I didn't really want to go back, right? In my heart of hearts, I never really wanted to go back for so many different reasons. But it's not like I found this home within myself. I mean, that happened from working the program. That happened from doing the step work, you know? Um, I found that wherever I went, um, not only did I have the, have the fellowship, you know, and, and, and I understand what you're saying, you know, as much as I shit on meetings, I've had wonderful experiences in meetings as well. And also you not wonderful for, You heard it here first. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, I'm going to get so much. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay. No, but honestly, I, I, the home thing is that it, I ended up having a home wherever I went because my higher power was wherever I went. You know, even that if it's, you know... Even if an Eskimo like offers me alcohol, right? <laughs> I've had people offer me like cocaine and shit, like, and you know where I traveled. It doesn't matter. So if I can say anything, is go and fucking do it. And one of the more humbling, awesome things that happened to, for me was that when I went back home, I had to go back home for like two months for this like medical procedure. But I did go to a meeting. And I did share and I did make some connection, connections with people and people ended up going and traveling 
and ended up being in contact with me while doing it and and going out of this indoctrinated place to like, hey, I'm 20, maybe I should backpack through Chile if I want to, you know, like, and it's great. And even my best friend who I had a, a, a very difficult conversation with before I left and, and I, I, I felt very hurt by him not being support, supportive, you know, we, we talked about it, it's all good, right? But he ended up, you know, a year later backpacking Vietnam for months and like going all through Asia. And I'm like, isn't that amazing, right? Like take your freedom, take your higher power and fucking go. And and I'm aware that I have this privilege, you know, not a lot of people get to do that, but please, you know, don't let fear um, like stop you because it's, it's being self-reliant and like God can do this for you. Why not? You know? I feel like that's the tagline. Take your freedom, <laughs> take your higher power, and fucking go. For real, there we though. go. We found our tagline, Byron Mike. Any last thoughts before we wrap this awesome thing that I have no idea if is if it's even coherent? <laughs> I mean, I'll I don't know about coherent, but I know it's been inspirational. I'm I'm so thankful for this. This is yeah. You spoke to an experience, I think, that is like right out of what we read. And it's just, it's bigger, right? It's bigger than whatever's between like those two covers. And hmm. take your freedom, take your higher power and fucking go. Here we go. Fucking go. Fucking go.